Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. And we're live. It's uh, Tuesday, May 12th, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. UTC coordinated time. Mm. What's happening, fellas? Mm. Not much, just stuck in a closet. <laughs> in Florida. That's right. Uh, here for the foreseeable future, this would be the background. I thought it was funnier than blurring it, so here we are. It is funnier than blurring it. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Jake, JT? how are you doing? Doing well. A uh, little rainy this morning, which is kind of different for California. It's been nice here. In fact, it's been kind of hot, so it's, it's a nice change. Yeah, it's always, uh, I'm, I'm up against the beach, so it's always overcast. Hey, we've got Cal. Kai? My eyes aren't good enough. Sorry, buddy. Tell us where you're from. I love here, I love going back through all of these and seeing where everybody's from. We've got all four corners of the world. Yeah, what is your fetish with that? I just like seeing where everybody's dialing in. The future, man. Okay. okay. What do you think? Uh, you think Fauci's going to come in and be one of the 10 today, or you think he's tied up? He's got that testimony, but I I know he probably blocked off some time for this, don't you think? (laughs) He always does. He doesn't miss an episode. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Sometimes he's got to watch it afterwards. One of the ten. He probably listens to it while he's running. That makes more sense. You think? You think it makes him amped up? He likes it. All right. Well, we should probably uh, kick it off, huh? Take it away, sir. Whose turn is it? I think think it might be mine. Oh, go ahead. You go, JT. All right. Welcome to Value After Hours with my esteemed co-hosts, Bill Brewster and Toby Carlisle. I'm your third wheel, Jake Taylor. What, uh, Bill, what do you got for us this week? Nothing. We're going to be talking about how confused I am. So this is the Seinfeld segment, I guess. Uh, yeah. How about you? I, I need some help thinking through what's going on. That's really what we're going to be talking about. I actually might ask the, uh, well, I am asking the... Uh, <laughs> collective 10 to come together maybe we can get a hashtag going on twitter or something and crowdsource some thoughts that's a good idea toby what do you got yeah i uh saw cliff asness uh had a third bite at the value cherry uh is systematic value investing dead spectacular paper uh i read it in one go and i've gone back and read it a few different times i think it's very thorough i think cliff writes incredibly clearly and uh I like the conclusion, so I'll be talking <laughs> yeah. about that paper uh, soon. What do you want, JT? Uh, I've got some more vegetables for us. Uh, this is going to be uh, a thing that I learned about recently that's called Baumol's cost disease. Oh, yeah, I've heard so, of that before. Aren't we fighting enough disease right now? <laughs> Just saying. We've been fighting this one for a long time, and you probably didn't know it. So That's fair. Those are the worst kind. This, so, is, this is value after hours. Starting right now. Right now. Uh, you you guys want to let me do Cliff first? Get Cliff. Yeah, for sure. Get Cliff out of the way. Yeah, so, I mean, a bunch of value people tuned in. We might as well give them the porn first. Here's the here's the value porn. Yeah. So great paper, worth checking out uh, on AQR's uh, little series, Cliff's perspective. Uh, I don't know why they didn't call that Cliff's notes. Feel like that was easy low hanging fruit there. But missed opportunity about- for sure. Going off a cliff. <laughs> That'd be pretty no, good. That, that's him on Twitter. Shout yeah. out to Cliff. I do like you. Stay on Twitter. He's one of the 10. He listens. He tunes in every week. For sure he does. <laughs> Easily. It just because just he, wants, he wants me talking my book about value makes everybody feel good. So all of the guys who are deep in value with me. So uh, very comprehensive review of the value spread for various different value metrics and he shows what it looks like over uh, the full data set that they have. Every chart looks almost identical. Basically what they show is that the spread is the widest now that it has ever been when you use the composite of all of those measures and you use the measures that AQR 
users internally, which is something that I have seen too. Um, when you apply all of the things that you would normally do, the, you know, the internal quality, balance sheet health, profitability, so on, leverage, so on, uh, you get these uh, results now that basically show that the value spread is as wide as it has ever been, wider now than the GFC, wider now than the dot-com peak, which is kind of extraordinary to, to go back through this time again, uh, given how recent the last peak was, only 20-something years ago. Uh, and then he sort of asks, he goes through and he asks all of these questions, why? Uh, has the world changed? So is it due to some sort of, of several very highly profitable monopolies that are skewing the results? He carves them out and still gets the same answer. Um, so it's not a winner-take-all monopoly or tech phenomenon. Um, basically, he says all that's happening is we're paying uh, more for some companies than we ever have in the past, and we're paying less for other companies uh, than we have in the past. And so that's created this massive spread. Um, the other thing that he looks at is inside each of those portfolios, is it due to um, some sort of deterioration in value stocks or some sort of like better quality in, uh, in growth stocks than usual? So you, you, what you typically find is that value stocks are, at the time that you're buying them, they, they do look, they're not as good as the, the growthier story stocks uh, in terms of their leverage and profitability and so on. But the question is, it's, it's a mispricing question. You're not trying to find the best stock on the stock market. You're trying to find the most mispriced stock. And value is very, very mispriced at the moment. And particularly so when you look at, you break down the, break down the two portfolios on the basis of profitability and leverage. Value is no worse than it normally is. The, the growthy stuff's no better than it usually is. It's just an unusual phenomenon. It's interesting that in 1999, and JT, you pointed this out, that the value stocks were actually better than the growth stocks in in 1999 so return on assets or for the cheapest decile i think it was was better return on assets across that segment than the the most expensive which is like Mm. really pretty shocking right absolutely there were no returns right in the uh in 99 in the high in the high decile right yeah and then the the one of the other things he did that i just missed was he took he compares the most expensive stocks to the middle to, the, to those in the middle and runs that for the full data series and then he compares the middle stocks to the cheapest and runs that to the, for the full data series to see whether it's a, is this a, an expensive stock phenomenon or is this a cheap stock phenomenon, you know, which side of the alligator jaws are driving the spread. What he says that, which is something that I didn't expect to see, but it's actually the cheapest stocks. It's both, the spread is very wide on both sides, but it's the cheaper stocks are wider now, are cheaper relative to the middle than they were historically. And if I, I can square that up on an absolute basis, if you look at price to cash flow in the Fama French series, you get you get a similar answer that we've got. I think value is is uh, is cheap all by itself. The spread is very, very wide. The final question that everybody wants answered is, when does it turn around? When does value start working again? Cliff didn't answer that question. Nobody can answer that question. He says that the odds are very good right now. Value is a very good strategy. So it's just a matter of kind of waiting. So nothing's really changed. I guess it's just uh, just more food for my bias, which I love. Yeah, one of the things he they used in his report was the... I was curious about debt levels always with this because um, I'm more an enterprise value type of guy. And they... He talked a little bit about that, but they used uh, debt to book value, basically, book equity book value. Um, and I would have liked to have seen something more in like of a cash flow type of coverage ratio uh, comparisons over time. I'd be curious to see if that gave you a different answer as far as leverage ratios go. Uh, Do you mean but- on an EV, could EV EBITDA or EV EBIT answer that question for you? Yeah, EV to EBIT would would answer that. Um, so Wes Wes's website has that that EV EBIT. You you gotta you gotta to get into that website. It's it's you gotta scale the wall and climb, swim through the moat. It's hard to get into. It's yeah. free and anybody can get into. It. It's just hard to get into. The last time I checked, uh, it, both of those EV EBITDA was sort of saying it's a 
1999 type opportunity and EV EBIT was like pretty close to that. It was at least a 2007 type opportunity. When I looked at it last week, it was uh, not as pronounced as as 99 was. So you have sort of a, there's probably a little bit more debt and then there's, the assets are probably not as good as 99. So it makes it like a little bit less obvious to me, uh, a little bit harder to really pound the table. Um, but it's definitely, we're in the ballpark of where like you could create some value gurus from that starting point. Raining on my parade, JT. Almost, sorry, almost. It's just like, it's pathological for me at this point. <laughs> well, you got to, I mean, values, values let us down so many times. You got to be asking the hard questions here. Try to. I just need the inspiration to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I don't know where I stand on this. I, I guess if we, like, let's go back and add back COVID, uh, you know, like EBITDAC. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, but for COVID, I think I would be more willing to to really bet on the data right now. And this is why the opportunities exist. I mean, I, I had sent out a tweet about the small value factor when I read Dan Rasmussen's piece. And I was like, I just don't know that that's the place you want to fish anymore. Like, not that there are not opportunities. There clearly are within the set. But as far as a factor goes, it's like 15 years of underperformance. I mean, at some point you got to kind of ask what's going on here. Um, and I guess that what I, my perception, and this is fraught with bias and why I'm running my portfolio uh, the way I am, but my perception is just that access to capital and size are so important right now that running to that uh, section, sector of the market was certainly rational in March. I mean, whether or not it still is, is sort of a different question, but I think that as as a basket, uh, it would not shock me to see that basket outperform. Certainly, at some point, it's going to just rip. I just don't know how to handicap the odds within a particular stock. I mean, it, it's obviously everything is a situation dependent, but man, small scares me right now. I mean, just because I think because I think the path of the outcomes is so wide that the ability to, to raise the liquidity is so important. And I just, I mean, I just don't know. I, and I know that the, the natural, like if I'm arguing with myself, I'd be like, yeah, dude, well, when's that ever not been the case? And I get that. But like right now it just feels scary. Uh, I mean, that's which a is pretty good argument. Exists, yeah. A major bifurcation. That's a pretty good argument for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I look well, at, right. where's the opportunity sitting now? Like that, the top end of the market tech has just run as far, I, not as far as it can go, obviously. I, I'm not saying it can run as far as it can go. Who knows? I'd, ne I'd never be that mad to say that it's run as far as it can go. But gee, it's run a long way relative <laughs> to the fundamentals. And uh, value sort of just has kind of been falling behind further and further, particularly small value. At some stage, the, the opportunity just becomes so great that you kind of, compelled to bet on some mean reversion like i would have said that that bet was pretty pronounced a year ago but i think that the the bet is uh, i mean it's just more pronounced now I, who would have thought that we'd get to like close to nine whether we're through it or not we're kind of at we're close to the peak of the the last time that value had a really spectacular run yeah I mean, I I fully understand all the psychological reasons that what I just said is stupid. Uh, I'm I just think that it's uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's you can be, wait it's for it to start working. Dependent. You can wait for it to start working. That's that's one thing that I've like. I don't think you have to be. I don't think you necessarily have to be betting on the way down in the factor right now. I think you could wait for the turn because I think that it's going to work for ten or fifteen years. Yeah, mm. I think that's I think that's arguably fair. And I know like personally when I look it's at mistakes Well, me. when I look at the mistakes that I made, I am I'm often early on something and I think that I have not like I'm so focused on trying to 
like not bottom tick, but like get a deal that I find myself buying and then stuff immediately goes down, you know, 10, 20 percent. And it's like, oh, man, if I had just sort of like forced a little bit of patience, not that you can can pick the bottom, but the other side, it's not like something re-rates 100 percent on you every day unless it's like Roku. But that's sort of a different (laughs) issue. Premature accumulation. Yes. Ha- happens to the best of us. Yeah. What's your What's your concern there, JT? You, you're kind of uh, you didn't want to in- fully endorse my uh, my wait and see. Uh, I just think that that um, that the real returns are made. I think, like Buffett says about you know waiting until you hear the robins for spring. It's it's kind of too late. Um, and the, until it gets all cleared up, I guess what the, when it comes down to it, the bifurcation that we see, we saw in 99 was this story around, you know, dot, dot com and new economy and really having like lower cost structures because you don't need brick and mortar, et cetera. And probably all true, right? It just like took longer. Well, that, and that was the, the, how quick it was going to happen was mispriced, I think. So you were able to buy a lot of stuff that was going to last for a long time and and was earning better than their counterparts, at least at that juncture. Fast forward to today, similar bifurcation, but now is the question, is it mispriced in the consequences of COVID uh, and the, the damage that's being done to these businesses versus the ones that are holding up? And is that mispriced at this point? Uh, and it, I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. As as it's not as easy, I guess. I guess it was probably hard then, like when the new economy seemed to be working. And yeah, of course, all these dinosaurs are going dead. Like this was a meteor that hit, uh, right? I guess you could say the same thing right now about all the stuff that's in in a value basket. You know, energy, retail, travel. A meteor hit, right? Uh, these are all dinosaurs that are that are gonna die. Um, yeah, this game's not easy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, so that I think is, I can, my perception of how value works and where I like to fish is like energy. I don't know anything about EMP. I I would get destroyed trying to pick, you know, like junior oil companies or some shit like that. Forget that noise. But like. Energy infrastructure assets, I can get my head around that. And I can get my head around why that's a long-duration asset. And I can get my head around why the future probably looks a lot more rosy than people are contemplating right now. And, like, that's a way that I can understand, stand like, value, right? Or travel. I, I have a bias and have bet on and will continue to probably bet on that people will come back to travel. Like, I understand searching for really good assets in beaten up sectors. I am less, at least running a discretionary portfolio, I am less certain that I can pull up like small value as a factor and then go through and pick the winners out of that uh, that subset. Um, like I, I guess that's sort of where I'm coming from when I say what I say. And like I, I'm sure there is some listener being like, he doesn't understand that the entire reason that value works is because no one wants to buy it. Like, I'm telling you, I get it. Uh, but I, I just, you know, that's where that's where my how my mind works. So like I've accumulated some exposure that's tangentially related to energy over this time period. I've accumulated a lot of travel related exposure. Um so that's sort of how I'm trying to play, like value, quote unquote. Would you say that uh, that bottom up in that kind of a like stock picking makes it really hard to buy the ba- anything out of the basket of of small cap value, and that you're probably better served not thinking about it bottom up and more making a broader bet, kind of shotgun that some of these are going to work out better than the ones that don't work out. I'm going to capture that asymmetry. And that I'm just betting on the entire population, uh, not not bottom up research of like, well, this one's really crap. I'm going to throw that out. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I get it from like a quant basket approach. I, it makes sense to me in that type of approach. I It just doesn't make that much sense to me, like for me to go in and pick discretionarily 
I mean, I don't, I don't deny there's some great opportunities there, right? That's, but that it's just how am I going to find them and know and all that is sort of the questions that I ask. Um, you know, I think yeah. those are legitimate concerns. I think that's where you go. That's where you run into trouble when you try to discretionarily pick out of some of those um, more beaten up names. Although there are definitely folks out there who are doing it pretty well. Like, I don't know how. I don't think Ian Castle. Oh, I think I name check him every single time I record one of these things. But impressive returns. I think that yeah, you know, he's he's like I don't know if he would characterize himself necessarily as a value guy. Though he might say that he's more growthy and he's he's but he's certainly doing that, picking them out. Name by yeah, name. so like, here's a plug for his service. I mean, I have been trying to think about what is a good. I've been trying to figure out like when will I have the time to research a microcap to submit to that that network group, right? Because microcap club is something that I want to get involved in. I mean, I I do want more focus on microcap, and my uh, like my network group is really focused we're, we're mostly focused on media and experience i mean that's most of the conversations that i'm having day to day i just don't, i'm not in the microcap network and i would like to work on expanding my my network that way because i do think that you can find great i great ideas and stuff but i i think that you cultivate them in a similar way that i cultivate what i do and that's like talking the ideas with a network of people so that's why I'm not inclined to just like pull up a small va- small factor or a small value factor and then just go through the list. It it won't work. I I mean, it take it took me a decade to get from when you do a back test and you get the output from the back test to like the output from the back test is garbage. It takes a long time to get a back test that delivers a list of names that you would actually buy as a sane individual that then also tests well. That's a, that is really the the challenge of the process because the first time you run it it just pulls up all this stuff that has somehow fooled the uh filled the screen like it's just through there because it's it's got some obvious problem with it and it's not all the horses have... you're like data fitting or something like that with your no, first back all test the, all the horses have broken legs and the model doesn't know it yeah yeah there's something like there's there's genuinely something wrong with it like it's a just for whatever reason the the, you know, so if you use EV EBITDA and you pull up some financials, you'll see that they're, it's just it's just wrong. Like you need to get, you need to be doing those other things, some little quality cash flow checks, various other things to get to a point where it produces a portfolio that is sensible and that you could psychologically hold. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's half of it. Is that's the even challenge. Even if it was not the best. Even if maybe it was a suboptimal return than just picking the pure flat, whatever it showed, the fact that you couldn't handle it and ride the horse to the finish that's, line that's matters a lot of it. also. That's a lot of it. That's un, uh, underappreciated how difficult that is to do that you really have to believe. I mean, people are seeing that with value as an entire strategy. Like just it's hard to believe in it given how badly it has performed. It's hard to see what needs to happen for it to start working again. Even I would struggle to explain to somebody why I think it'll start working. And I'm sort of fortunate to have invested through a period of time in the early 2000s when it did work very, very well. And so I have seen it work. And I've also seen the flip side of that, which is that even very high quality companies with very high rates of growth, if they get extremely expensive, they'll just go sideways for a decade. That's what happened in the early 2000s. There were great companies in there. Uh, things that were darlings in the late 1990s that just didn't do anything for 10 years. And the underlying, the the uh, the fundamentals were great. Fundamentals were great every time. Just, you could, you know, it's not like this thing now where you, you put on Microsoft at 2.8% free cash flow yield and it goes up. You put on Microsoft at a 2.8% free cash flow yield, the sales go up 30%. And now it's a 3.5% cash flow yield and it hasn't gone anywhere. That can happen. Yep. But your 10 years is only 0.8%. So that's true. In theory, that's who true. Who knows how high it could go? But is it, is it, you know, so this is the thing, right? The direction of the interest rates is I probably more important than the. To whoever just pulled their eyeballs out. But that's a but fair I question. Also have serious. That's a fair question. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, the, the, probably the direction of the interest rates is more important than the absolute level of interest rates, right? Everybody just adjusts to the absolute level, but it's the change that maybe we go negative. I don't know what happens then. I have never, I can't, you know, that's, that's through the looking glass. Who knows what happens in that scenario? 
I was thinking about that today. I was like, man, you know, you could really get valuations going nuts in the, in the negative rate environment. I mean, people in people almost certainly put a floor under it, but who knows? I mean, it's it's infinite, right? It's infinite at zero. Like, what happens when it goes through zero? Who knows? It's just so tough to handicap the odds because there's there's a lot of money, and I I don't I mean I don't do this kind of work, but like the incremental flows, right? If you are ne- if you have negative rates out there, what do you do if you're a pension manager? Like, you just have to plow in. You just assume eight percent. You just keep on putting eight yeah. percent into your model. PE. Yeah. VC, who are going to mark to whatever you need them to mark it mark to. Mark to model. Yeah. I mean, it's That's... it's a very, very hard question. I mean, the answer is probably you raise taxes and then, you know, try to actually fund that way. But that's not fun for anyone. Do you look at Japan? Has Japan gone negative? Uh, like, when did Japan get actually negative? I don't know. But Greek Fire on Twitter, that dude, he, had, he roasted. Uh, Trump today was saying... Uh, if everybody negative else good. has negative rates, like we should, uh, we should enjoy the gift too. And he was like, "Yeah, because those those continents and countries all done well. feel well. <laughs> like that's that's really who we want to be." Uh, that's funny, right? It's not. It's 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 so hard because I I don't. It, it, I, I have no idea. Uh, macros macros too hard for me. I've got no idea. Yeah, no doubt. Well, good. I'm going to get into more of it because uh, I'm going to talk <laughs> about how confused I am. Um, good. And you know, I just. The, what is so difficult to square right now as a human for me, right? Maybe I just have like the, a pea brain, but I, I watched Buffett and I think I'm not the only one that's confused is what, like I get that people are saying, look at the last quarter and look at how some of these tech companies grew last quarter. And I get that the economy has not stopped. Right. But Let's think through, you know, how how quick can unemployment, how quick can this employment come back? Uh, and in a world where certain p- policy proposals are at least being floated where school may or may not happen next year. I mean, it's not, you know, that's not like common, but it's out there uh, in a world where you can't hire fundamentally enough people because your restaurant can't get to the capacity that it that is required uh in a world where united is saying hey in october once this payment or payroll protection loan rolls off we may decline by 30 percent uh the amount of pilots that we have um like what how does how do how does capex on the business side like how does that ramp and what are all the multiplier effects of all this velocity coming in? Like, I have no fucking clue how we make it out of this okay, other than, like, blind faith. It's just hard, man. And I don't And I don't want to be like, uh, I really want to be careful not to get this, Jake. I like that. You got your crying emoji. Uh, I really don't want to get into some like bear rant and I want to be rational about it. And I said on Twitter, like, it's not impossible for me to be optimistic here, but man, is it hard. And it's really hard when I read, like I've, I've gotten privy to a couple real estate conferences, uh, like Barry Sternlicht. He is, I think you would be hard pressed to qualify him as bullish. Uh, Sam Zell, like all the OGs are like really worried right now and it's because they're old mate. I, well you're right i mean that's need some that's gunslingers need some young gunslingers to come in here and really mess it up for you yeah well that's the knock right like they don't understand how the world works now but it's like i don't know man you want to i i mean you need to go drunk get a couple of young guys who aren't yeah. scared come in and just rip that look, seven billion up for you to be fair, like I, I think it was March twelfth or thirteenth or something. I, I said like I think that thing. There are certain things that are cheap, but the world has changed a lot since then. I mean, we have had quite a rally in a lot of stuff. So now it's not as cheap as it was, to say the least. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, how I, do you guys think through that? Where do you? How do you even start to build the thoughts? 
So I think if you're going to be listening to other people in in times of high uncertainty, you probably want to err towards the older people. All you know, all other things equal, because one, they've seen more things, and the fact that they've survived enough to make it to this time period at least tells you something about the resilience of how they've handled things. So if I know nothing else about them, you, I think you probably want to like favor the old old lion uh, a little bit because you know that he got here. Like he's he's stood up to some tests to get here. Um, so when guys like Zell and Buffett are concerned, I think that should make everyone scratch their head a little bit and maybe back off you know, the animal spirits that they might be feeling. But yeah, maybe, well, why don't me. we throw Malone in there? Right. And sure. uh, like uh, pretty much you know. anybody who's been around for a while. I Have you seen anyone older who is bullish right now? No, not really. I mean, I'm sure there are, there are I'm sure there are some people. Uh, I mean, in the middle of March, throw that to uh, the crowd. John, well, John Rogers had come out and he said that he thought it was a generational buying opportunity. Um, I mean, there there are a lot, but again, March is a lot different than right or now. Like three I mean, days. Yeah, I mean, things changed, Short right? Generation. So, and and I also want to be really careful with myself of not being like too focused on short-term fears and forgoing long-term thinking. But the, uh, I mean the. The way that the Lollapalooza of all this and how it could unravel on the downside has a very legitimate chance of impairing long-term growth. It's not just like a short-term quarter concern, right? It's dividend like a, yield. Dividends will be back to where they were by 2027. So it's not impaired forever. It's just like seven years. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> long-term growth? I'm worried about the asset value of things already in the ground. I mean, more or less, is anything growing? I said this last yeah. week, but I'll say it again. I was pretty nervous. I'm not nervous, but I, I'm, I'm like realistic to negative probably at the moment. And uh, when I saw Buffett hadn't done anything, that really sent uh, a shot of adrenaline into my body and ruined that entire weekend for me. And I've sort of slowly forgotten about it, so I don't feel quite so nervous anymore. But uh, when the greatest to ever do it is cashed up, and all he does through something like that is sell down. If you don't take notice of that and just like consider what that means a little bit, then I think you're an idiot. I mean, I sort of agree, you know, and it's like we I, I I'm not like in a debate with people, but I float Starbucks on Twitter. It's a brand that I know. It's a brand that I like. I do love Starbucks. I, they Starbucks are will be fine. To me. They've proven that you can sell terrible coffee and still make lots of money. <laughs> It's an experience, Toby. but that's not. The, but that. But the issue isn't. Are they going to be fine? Right. The issue is, what does fleet wide throughput look like, and how long? And and like you know, I mean, you're you're paying over a hundred billion dollars for that company, so that implies some rosy stuff. I mean, how many companies in history have ever hit a hundred billion dollar EV? I get you got Royk Tesla that it's a long term <laughs> grower. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Just all the greats. Fucking Tesla. <laughs> Man. Elon Musk is acting a fool right now, huh? Uh, he's got Just a new baby. That. That's what happens. Is it? What do you do if you're that kid? I'm not trying to pick on that kid. That kid's just as innocent as any other kid. But what do you do if that's your name? So I've seen some explanation that the you X... you got to go change it. Well, the X translates to... They could, like, they're clearly having fun with everybody, right? The X translates to Kai... The yeah, uh, the yeah. AE. I think he said Ash or something like that on Rogan's podcast. I saw somebody somebody broke it down. Like somebody who who can code broke it down. They said basically it's Kyle. Kyle. Oh. Pronounced Kyle. And so probably that's what the name is. It's just, but they're just Kyle's messing with everybody because why God wouldn't damn you? Damn it, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He must not watch lots of South Park. Maybe he does. Probably. Well, it sounds like we, we're not getting closer to the answer. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just think there's so many, like, there's just so many variables right now that when you get to, like, the Charlie Charlie Munger Lollapalooza stuff, you, you're fighting a virus. I think politics are starting to creep into how people actually see that. You've got an election year. There's, like, signaling that's impacted by that. The, the freaking bundle 
I just saw that satellite. Uh, shout out to my man Francisco Oliveira uh, for for sending this to me. It looks like satellite uh, growth. It looks for the quarter was down fourteen percent. Uh, pay TV subscriber growth, so that's not great. Uh, you got no sports. Cable news is got every incentive in the world to get as sensational as possible to get people tuned in. Like you got the last dance. I started watching it. I'm yeah, three episodes in. I'm three episodes yeah. in. They haven't mentioned uh, the most important player on the team. I'm kind of amazed. Luke Longley. Luke Longley. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I believe you know. got there before I did. He's not the most important, but certainly a good glue guy. Certainly a glue guy. That man's a national treasure. That that may be. We'll take Jordan. You can have him. Um, Luke Longley. Good for him. So anyway, I don't know. It's just like one of those scenarios where uh, I just think, man, you could get – I I think that's why Buffett's monologue was so – what's the right word for his – Somber. Chilling, yeah, somber, yeah, and 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 the reflexiveness, like we talked earlier about the reflexive nature of this virus and how people react. People, if you go through an extended period of uh, stagnation or like just unemployed, I mean, the uh, the amount of optimism that is embedded in cap rates and multiples right now. Uh, it can it can fall apart, and if it falls apart, it can stay that way for a long time. So, Toby, how do you square all of that scary stuff with, you know, Cliff's paper and like shit? It's time to push your chips in if you're a value guy. <laughs> well, that's what 1999, 2000 will look like too. I think. Uh, you, well, here, here's one implementation I don't of it, think right? So, man, you didn't have the same type of economic scare. And yeah, like thirty million people unemployed. Okay, man. Well, it's, that's not it's, ninety-nine. That's well, not going to be. Some it's not going to be thirty million. Tech rally. It's not going to be thirty million though. Like it's thirty million while everybody's furloughed. That'll come back a bit. It's still going to be very, very bad. I'm not saying it's not very, very bad. I'm saying it's not thirty million. But I, I do think so that this is. is it? It's how do you think through that? That's the question. It's a dot com mashed up with the GFC. We're having them both at the same time. Uh, so you can go through and you can look at what happened in both of those things. And I. I'll tell you what I would do. I would implement a long, short value strategy that gets long a whole lot of really undervalued stuff and gets short a whole lot of really expensive, junky stuff. That is me talking my that book, but that smart. is exactly what I would do. <laughs> I thought about it before I launched it. Like that's this is I'm yeah. doing what I think is going to yeah. work in the very near term, and I think it's going to work uh, for a long, long time. That's fair. That makes sense. That is a rational answer, and. <laughs> A good way to plug what you do. Gracias. <laughs> do you want to do? All right, Jake, do you want to do time. your veggies, JT? Save the veggies. Is anyone for even last. hungry anymore? I don't know. Is it? Oh, did do we get squeezed out again? Down into like a two-minute segment? No, 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 no. No, no, we're going long. You know what? I've I've heard uh, people don't mind long, so let's go long. All right. So this the 19- length does matter. I'm not going there. The uh, this 1960s economist named William Bommel. Uh, he came up with this idea that uh, you start with this a uh, thought that imagine like a Beethoven cor- uh, some a quartet uh, performing Beethoven symphony, and over the last two hundred years that has not get- had any gains in productivity. It takes the same amount of time, the same amount of training, the same instruments, the same number of people to perform that quartet. Four probably right. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> damn, that was that's a so, great joke. In general, uh, productivity has occurred in much more in things like manufacturing and uh, places where it's not humans doing some kind of uh, special, like you know, required service or labor. Okay, so what you end up happening is is really like all of our material wealth in society comes from increases in productivity. So imagine that I, I, I said, Bill, I need you to go uh, dig a giant hole and I'm going to give you a, a big like earth mover to do it. Like how much could you get done in an amount of time? 
versus Toby, I'm giving you a spoon and you have to move the same amount of dirt and it's going to take you like, you know, years to do the same amount. Well, we are all wealthier based on the capital structures that we have, based on the training that we get, based on our uh, the processes and procedures and technologies that we figure out how to do things to, to, to achieve our aims. Well, in the service industry in general, it's much harder to get those same kind of productivity gains because it requires a human to do that. And they can't all of a sudden do things, you know, a hundred times faster than they could. So you imagine things like education, like grading papers. I can't do that at 10x the speed uh, if I'm actually reading it and, you know, writing notes to a student. That uh, can help you though, right? It can, yeah. but Just eventually, saying. yeah. Yeah. So nursing, for instance, like applying a bandage on someone like we can't get nurses to do that at 100 X speed somehow. Uh, even things like government, you know, police officers, firefighters, you know, some of their tools can improve. But in general, you know, going to the DMV and processing a, a you know, license, a new license application has had no productivity gains. Right. And Bommel predicted in the 1960s that we would see the service sectors, basically uh, the costs of the services rising because they, they still have to compete with the manufacturers for the labor pool. Like otherwise no one goes and does those services. So he predicted that we would see huge price increases in things like education, government, uh, healthcare. And, you know, part of me being sympathetic to Austrian or, you know, libertarian tendencies, uh, I would look at those type of things and say, oh, well, those are the things that government's pretty heavily involved in, and that's why they kind of suck and why the price has gone up and there hasn't been material improvement. And the things like apparel and computers and TVs have all gotten much cheaper in the last you know, 20 years. And I would have attributed that to like, oh, well, that's the free market at, at work. Like that's you know, good things happening, like that's competition. And maybe that that was a little bit of an uninformed viewpoint, given Bommel's cost disease, that it's the, it's more the service versus the productivity of of manufacturing uh, and the gains that we can get there that that are actually driving some of these results. So um, any comments at this point before I tell you what kind of some of my my takeaways were from the from this idea? I have some thoughts, but I don't want to derail you. I want to keep going just in case you answer them. Well, no. I think he just asked you for your thoughts, well, though. One is that right, I right. think that the healthcare issue is, I think that's an interesting one because there's an enormous amount of technology that makes healthcare so much more, um, the analysis is so much more penetrating than it used to be because we've got MRI machines, we've got te testing and things like that that we can do. We've got better drugs, we've got um, better procedures, we've got robotic procedures, we've got like the technology in there is amazing. And I don't think that the US is sort of unique globally in that it has an enormous spend and the results uh, in terms of life expectancy aren't keeping up with the spend or aren't keeping up with the rest of the world. And I think personally that the problem is that you have this separation of, you know, the person who gets the service doesn't pay for the service that goes to the insurance yeah. company. And then yeah, they bill your employer... And then, so you, at no stage is there any cost discipline or any shopping. And when you look at, for example, when you look at cosmetic procedures, which um, don't benefit, don't have the access to that same infrastructure, cosmetic procedures have got rapidly cheaper. You can get, you know, you drive, drive around the streets here, you can see you can get uh, botulism, <laughs> uh, not botulism, that's what it is, like yeah. the, the Botox, Botox. Botox shots for like, they're, they're ridiculously cheap now. You basically walk in off the street and get your shots done. Yeah, all the people on uh, Netflix is too hot to handle got all their work done with uh, just $5,000 of winnings. They also look like it, to be fair. Some of those girls ruin themselves. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I would also add that on education, it's like I, these are really tough issues for me because like with education, I think that we should let students declare bankruptcy and get out of it's education crazy debt, that they can't do and that. then and then you would have less incentive to lend money to it and then you couldn't like gouge people so i just think it's a little bit tougher and with the tvs and stuff globalization it's so easy to just go to the cheapest country to make it that services you can't do that with so i just i don't i don't know i don't have a good sense but i do 
I do sort of viscerally agree that service productivity is a little bit slower. Like if I think back to when I was at the bank, there the ability to roll out new software and processes within a big organization, it's just slow. Uh, I maybe manufacturing's the same, but it I don't know. I guess you get locked into how you do things. I, th- I, th- I think education is such a huge opportunity to really do something spectacular where you could have, you know, so there's that masterclass. I don't know if you have seen that, but that's kind of an interesting approach where I don't see why you can't find the best single presenter of each subject in the nation or globally and then put them together into some sort of Netflix type lecture series and then you, you gamify it the way, um, the way that Khan Academy has. And then you have I'm some... going to give a shout out right now and hope that the three of us can get some sort of access. But in practice, have you seen what they're building for investing? No, is it good? They've got, yeah, they've got really good interviews. If that guy continues down this path, he's going to have a, a sweet service. It's sort of, it's not masterclass because it's Same just idea. interviews. Yeah, yeah but, all... but it's interviews with old CEOs It's or you know industry execs. It's good stuff. That's all masterclass is. It's just interviews and then they've been kind of systematic about the way that they've asked the questions and put it together into some sort of order. Like that, each one is different. Uh, I think that when you see some of the, when you see Thomas Keller cook eggs, you're like, I want to go and eat in that guy's restaurant. I don't want to cook eggs like that. Which is kind yeah. of, the, I thought that was an interesting insight. I think if you see a lot of people who are very good at what they do, do what they do, you realize that really there's a level of mastery there that's taken decades to kind of get to that point. And it's not something that you can just pick up and be good at having watched a series like that. But I do think that... I don't know. I'm like Steph Curry now, just watching him <laughs> just shoot over your Draining three-pointers from anywhere. I think that if we had independent testing centers that could verify that you can go in and take a test and pass all of the things that you've been taught, that would be a much better system than you go to Harvard and you get some specialized teaching there. I just think there's a better way of doing it that would be much, much cheaper that would solve that problem. So that would be technology kind of disrupting, turning what was previously a a human, very involved thing into more of a more of a manufacturing almost type of scaling makes it sound makes it sound dirty when you say it like that but that, that would be the idea dirty in a good way uh <laughs> so one of the, one of my takeaways was that our fight to uh not have robots replacing us for our jobs i think is actually probably a bad idea and what we should embrace the robots who can come and do some of these service jobs for us uh, and have that productivity gain to grow the pie enough to where it, it that would be a way of fighting some of Bommel's cost disease. Um, You're going to end up the, uh, the first quasi Austrian libertarian that also supports UBI. I think there's people right. The, ro- the robots are going to do it all. And then we'll just uh, collect the dividends. That's Marxism. That's literally Marx's, Marx's utopia <laughs> is the robots do all of the jobs and we go to the beach. That sounds great. It doesn't sound bad. It sound, it's awesome in a book. <laughs> Who builds yeah, the robots? Don't worry oh, about the that. robots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, I'm coming up with strategy. Uh, that's tactics. That's somebody else's yeah, job. That's fair. That's fair. So one of my other takeaways was that, um, you know, a lot of the new jobs that were added in the last 10 years, I think were primarily service-based jobs. Um, so... And that the that COVID perhaps impacts those more than normal. Like, you, you know, you can't go get a haircut. You can't, you know, get your nails done or go to a restaurant. Turns out you don't need a haircut. Uh, I, I beg to differ. Uh, uh, but going, I'm going for three more inches here. I'm going to really grow Longer hair too. Because screw it. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> so... If you imagine that, uh, you know, a second. our, uh, our profit, more. Mar- I'm not looking to double things, Toby. Come on. That's greedy. <laughs> Speaking My of my mom is listening. <laughs> oh God. The, uh, right now we're at about like two times profit margins for S and P 500 over compared to historical mean, um, gosh, you have to imagine that if we back off of some of this globalization because of COVID, which I think is probably a very rational response and something we could expect to see, it has to impact profit margins, right? Like we can't, 
I don't I, know, man. That, that's that's loser talk. That's loser talk. Right. We're going straight through this. No, I'm not trying to go there with you, but like I've been thinking of it. So like uh, OMAB, O-M-A-B, it's a Mexican airport, um, you know, conglomerate or not conglomerate, but they own airports in Mexico. Something that I was thinking about is like if we onshore more stuff to North America, I could see I mean, I could see that it helps enough people that I, I am unclear what happens. Let me just so put it I that would way agree that that would it would help people, which they're increasing your your productivity. But then some of that has to be shared with the the workers and their wages coming up. Right. So yeah. I think and also too the. As government, as a thing, gets more expensive because it's more cost-based or it's more service-based, don't we have to have higher corporate taxes again at some yes, point? Yes, I we do think have... that's a fact. Capital's had a really good run against labor. Yeah, they have. And this is this is for a, what like fifty years or something. This is about as stretched as it's ever got before. So yeah, I agree with that. I think. Uh, I personally think the Fed has a lot to do with that. If you pump up asset prices, that's what happens. You set interest rates too low, you get bloated asset prices. It makes yeah, man. And the thing that sucks about that shit is like the people that don't understand the game and are just like savers get just fucked. You know what I mean? Like, what do you? There's no savers anymore. There's no savers anymore. You can't be a saver and survive. That's a problem. You've had to move out the risk curve. The Fed loves taking people right up the risk curve. That said, something that I, I do think that uh, we have talked about, and I don't necessarily, I don't know how I feel about this, but the way that we've talked about, like companies are so lean and they run optimally, like levered and stuff like that. I do agree that you're giving up fragility, but you are getting a benefit in velocity of money going through the system. I mean, it is more efficient. I, I don't know. Isn't velocity of money like, isn't it flatlining? Well, yeah, no, it has been. been. It has been. But, for... but what I'm saying is if you then say, well, we should just accumulate all this cash on the balance sheet, you should see velocity implode, right? Because, I mean, like if you reduce buybacks and you just accumulate cash, if, if corporations become huge savers, that's not good. That's J- Japan type scenario, right? Where they just load up the balance sheet and they've got the interlocking holding. So there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And you're just like trapped in there. Yeah. Toss any questions, I guys. I that. Uh... I know that that like consumption as a as it's a good thing for us, and people like to make that argument like, oh, I'm stimulating the economy by going and racking my credit card up, which is kind of what corporate America did. Um, I don't know if I buy that. Like pulling forward demand from the future through credit doesn't necessarily, to me, sound like uh, the smartest behavior. No, that that sounds like it's so that you might run out of runway. Levered pretty, pretty equity, bro. You just I know. it keeps. You're so right until you're wrong. Yeah, I'm a. Sh- I'll send you a DCF. You'll get it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, it's Q and A time. Yeah, throw throw out the questions. Um... I didn't mean to be so vague with my topic, but like I've just been sitting around thinking about like how to even think through it. You got and, it's that's and, just a market. I think it's a good question. I think it's good. Uh, that's what that's everybody's like, thinking about all the time. Talking. The thing is, yeah, I'm I, it's, I'm just like trapped in this towel closet, terrified. That's really why I'm in here. I just can't open the doors. Um, but like you know, if you just argue, forget about numerically risk reward. What's the upside here? Like really, 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 what's the upside? And then. I can construct a pretty terrifying downside. And I think you usually can do that, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I just have to get my head rational right now. And I'm just like really struggling to uh, stay in my brain and not in my fear, if that makes sense. My fear lives in my brain. So mine too. I got I got a comment. Okay, I got a question. Uh, what do you think of developed markets XUS underperforming market cap for the NASDAQ 100 now exceeds the market cap for the MSCI World XUS 1000? Duh, because America is the best. Next. Well, no, what's no. It's saying that, uh, <laughs> that the, like that developed world that's not the US is done worse than EM? Is that what it's saying? No, it's saying that the, the, the NASDAQ 100... It now has a market cap bigger than 
the uh, MSCI America. world, excluding the US, because the US is in the MSCI world. So the NASDAQ 100 is bigger than the rest of the world, which is just like that's fan mag is bigger yeah. than everything else in the world. Which All the little bullshit countries. It's the same. Fan mag is some businesses. I just think we all have to acknowledge that. And like that matters. They're, great, they're worth a lot. They're great businesses. That's absolutely right. It's, but it's, it's and the same phenomenon. Growing. It's the value phenomenon. It's the uh, reverse market cap. So that you know, equal weight, poor, equal weight index is underperforming market cap weight index. Big is outperforming small. Uh, cats are mating with dogs. I don't know. The world is upside down. Things, I weird mean, things are going the on. Thing is, I, I sort of studied Europe a little bit, and to any European listeners, if I say anything, you know. Sh- shoot me a Twitter message and tell me I'm wrong. But like when I was studying Ryanair, man, the amount of regulations over there and like just how, how hard it must be to piece together uh, that whole union and just how we're, I just, it doesn't seem efficient. And I know that we're the same with States, but we're not like, it is a structural advantage. So I, you know, I don't know. There, as a group, I could see the U.S. outperforming. Uh, you know, they they obviously have certain incredible companies, but I, I'm not sure. I don't know. This Any... kind of reminds me, though, of that. Um, there's a little graphic that shows, like, I think it's each decade, and it shows, like, what were the best performers and, like, what's the narrative at the time. And it was, like, 1980s, Japan, Inc., taking over the world. And yeah. all those Japanese companies are, like, the best. 1990s it was like dot com and it's like cisco uh you know microsoft at that point like a million things and the narrative was you know it's a new economy 2000s you get into i don't know like countrywide or some bullshit uh narrative there and now it's like this is you know fang basically is it this is the time it's different and this is when like the narrative is finally completely right and i mean mongers I don't but know. But Munger said it was a lot different, right? At Daily Journal, he said, like, this is nowhere near the nifty 50. And I do think that, like, these these really good tech businesses are really awesome. I mean, and and they are worth a lot. Now, you know, whether or not they're worth what people are paying, that's sort of a different issue. But we as a country are producing some pretty impressive stuff. That's all true. Uh, GMO is a great resource for this stuff. I, I like what they write. Uh, they tend to be a little bit too into commodities for me all the time, but I, I do really like what they write. It's only because commodities have been losing. I know, but it's like if commodities start working, you'll say, "Wow, those guys are really smart." No, that's I'm not like resulting. I just don't. Uh, I I don't understand what constricts commodity supply, and to me, that's a, exactly the game there. Uh, I got another question here. This is uh, like uh, Howard Marks memo is already the same to me, so I don't actually know which Howard Marks memo we're talking about here. But any thoughts on Howard <laughs> Marks' latest memo? I I haven't read it. No, so neither I mean, I. I've read the last. Well, I read him intermittently. I'm not sorry, Mr. Marks. I didn't read his last. Oh, he definitely listens. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I read the last one. I whatever he put out in March, I thought was interesting. I thought that was one of the first memos he actually said something in a long, long time. He's another one that's not exactly bullish, though he never really is, except when he's selling out to Brookfield and screwing his shareholders. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon, Bill. Too soon. Anybody who can read uh, Brookfield's accounts, uh, drop me a line and tell me how you do it because uh, I've had I've had a go. Uh, I've had lots of other folks who I know and respect with PhDs in accounting have a go. <laughs> Can't figure it out. Dude, they are getting blown up right now because I guess they're lending. I mean, I don't follow the whole complex, but I guess they're lending to certain entities to get other entities paid. You know, clearly, if, the, if that rumor is true. Uh, it would be interesting to say the least. How's your graph tech doing? Uh, my beloved graph tech. I wonder how they are. The steel industry must be ripping right now. Yep. It's lower. That's the answer. <laughs> well, I don't know. You never know. Oh, yep, it is. It's quite a bit lower. <laughs> I kind of like this analogy, but I think FanMag is a little bit like the Nifty 50. Nifty 50 was, they were all regarded as being 
uh, like you know single decision stocks because they were so the businesses were so high quality, growing so rapidly. Uh, also extremely expensive, and we went from Nifty Fifty into the seventies when uh, you know that was a that was a value investors market right there so I, I kind of feel like there's something like that is going to happen here I've, I know I've said that a few times just want everybody to know what my biases are yeah that's graph tech that's it's not what you want to see it we've got some high quality graphics in the show six well that's the one so that's one of those weird paradoxical things to me where the lower the price goes the bigger the risk actually because of the take under problem so if you it normally the lower the price, the the less risk that you're you're taking. But in that situation, I think your ability, your problem of getting taken under, makes me afraid. Every tick down is a tick up in risk for me. Do you guys uh, did you guys see uh, Munger's comments on Amazon having to worry about Costco? Mm, think Munger likes Costco a bit too much. I love me some Costco. I'm not trying to like shit on Costco, but Amazon doesn't have to worry about Costco. Well, they provide totally different things. Like Costco yeah. is a a core set of things that you want to buy. Uh, and then, you know, Amazon is the long tail of all the random shit that you would end up buying. And you don't want to like work that hard for it to show up at your door. Yeah. This... I mean, you know, when Costco has the infrastructure, the internet attached to it, then maybe Amazon can worry about it. But... So here's a good question, uh, and Bill, you might want to, as a, as a seller of Berkshire, Chuck Acri sold a huge amount of Berkshire in his latest filing. How do you feel about that? I own seven percent of my portfolios in Berkshire. First of all, so I'd like I'm. But you've sold down to the DSW. <laughs> stuff out. got cheap. I mean, you know, it got cheaper. Uh, I I don't know. Somebody responded to me that they thought that. Uh, I mean, it was a small position anyway. But Acri, I mean, he, you know, to have a spot in the portfolio means something with Acri. Um, I don't know, man. I, I look. I think. Uh, I think people people bail on the old dog right before he shows his last trick. Uh, I think Buffett's still got one up his sleeve. What um, it shows I just you is think that it's going to take a while. There's, there's nobody will give you the benefit of the the doubt. Even if you crush it and become the richest man in the world of your entire career, they're still going to second guess you. No, that's not it, man. It's, it's just the size. It's the size of the entity. I mean, like Berkshire Hathaway Energy just announced some billion-dollar deal. It's going to be awesome. It doesn't really move the needle. No, but they're they're bitching about not enough buybacks or oh, yeah. not well, pulling they're... the trigger on in March. No, they're definitely. They're coming at the king. You never get He's you never get the benefit a, of the doubt. Ever. And I don't buy it. It's, Look, I'm an apologist, right? I mean, I but uh, I I don't think he's missed what he's actually waiting for. I just think he's playing a different game. That's fair. I don't think he's sitting there, you know, at the end of his career, being like, "Oh boy, I can just do this buyback. It's going to be the greatest thing ever." Like that dude's waiting for like real pain. I think. Well, I think uh, we've come up on time, fellas. Any uh, any closing comments? I feel like we'd shortchanged the Q&A session a little bit. Yeah, let's do a couple more questions. Come on. Come on, Toby. I know you're not going anywhere. Uh, I'm running out Unless of... Unless there's just... There's no engagement. There's no question. <laughs> there's, there's, lots of, actually, there's lots of comments. What really to say is no one cares anymore. There's lots of comments. Uh... Jump the shark. Okay. <laughs> Who are the people to follow now that are better than Buffett? Here's my list. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing on there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think Acri. I think you follow Acri if you like that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think anybody's bigger than the king. I just think the king got so rich that the opportunity set shrunk on him. Still a great business, still run by the world's greatest capital allocator, still high return on invested capital, just got too much cash on the balance sheet. And that problem is going to be solved in, I would say, the next three to six months. Yeah. And the other thing is, even if it takes, let's say that, that you know, the bull case takes off and whatnot. I mean, let's say he does a big buyback in 12 months. It's going to be suboptimal 
but like I don't know is the way that they look at that business it's uh you're not going to be starving if that's the outcome the rest of your portfolio's probably done fine and that stock's going to do fine too and you're going to do a hell of a lot better than bonds so as like a wealth preservation machine it's a pretty darn good one Berkshire's going to do better than the S&P 500 over the next decade I hope cheaper uh growing faster or at least as fast um better balance sheet better cap allocation better cap allocation i don't know if you can rely on that for the next decade but i, I do think that that's true for, for for i hope i hope the whole lot but for the near, near Dude, term berkshire hathaway energy is freaking legit i mean again you're paying a lot for it but like it's worth a lot and i know that utilities is not what's going to get young people super amped up but that's a hell of a good one well, what would you pay right now for a magic box that you could put your money into and it would give you a 10% return for the next 10 years? Quite a bit. That's Although basically if you paid what... too much, you wouldn't get your 10%. That's the, that's, uh, the nature of this game. But yeah, is, I don't is that what you're asking? What, like, you're what, what guaranteed return do you need before you... Well, I'm just saying that he has basically that in Berkshire Energy and the railroad. And those are really valuable, I think, in these kind of times where expected returns probably should be tamped down from here and if you have a regulatory 10% that you can plow billions of dollars into that's that's a pretty he's playing a different game it's and it's a good game yeah well and he's i mean it's not it's not direct exposure to tech obviously but a lot of those data centers and stuff Berkshire Hathaway Energy is is like as they get built Berkshire Hathaway Energy supplies the energy. I mean, it's. Let me ask you know, in a different you got way. A good, you got a good would, utility. Would you take a guaranteed ten percent return right now for the next ten years and not touch anything else and just take a that ten percent? The rational part of me would say, "Yeah, that'd be great." And then I know myself, so I would have to touch other things. <laughs> I like the game too much. I can't not touch anything. Like, Toby, I, what I about just, you? Did you be chased and take us? Take a ten percent from here for the next ten years. And call it a. I kind of think I can do better. Wow! All right. I, I think mean, it's going to be close. Ten percent for twenty years. I'd be pretty okay. Like that would be nice. Ten for twenty, you would take. Yeah, I'd take ten for ten. But I'm just saying, you know, if we're playing the game, let's keep going with it. All I'm right. Not, on that note. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Enjoy the outro music. Stay safe. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Next time. Move with the rhythm. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13. Sing